We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. Aloha. Thanks for tuning in to the Layman's Lounge podcast. And by the way, if you're ever wondering what that glorious intro music is, it's the Avett Brothers. And that song is called Salvation Song. And I did get permission from their management. However, YouTube keeps like flagging it and trying to take it off. So thanks a lot, YouTube. Okay. For me, the Lord has been pleased to use to use in my life, maybe C.S. Lewis, Martin Luther, Abraham Kuyper, Gerhardus Voss, and, and a living amongst the dead, Chad Bird. <laughs> Y'all know I'm a Chad Bird bootlicker. I think I've interviewed, I think this will be our third or fourth interview. Um, and no one else, I haven't chat to anyone else. And I think most of our, the, the interviews that get hit the most are, are yours, Chad Bird and NT Wright. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Still my both guys favorite. who, both guys who care a lot about the resurrection. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I'm trying to remember the name of the one interview that is just so good. I was like, so proud of myself. I feel all like, cause because Chad, you are also like a good writer, which always is always a bonus. So after I talk to you, I feel all like creative and I don't want to just be bland. And I named one like one of our interviews for like, um, oh, for good news for failures, jerks and know-it-alls. And I still like love <laughs> and I, that's good. And it's true. OK, so um, Chad Bird's part of the 1517 Army is a fount of easy to di digest wisdom. Um, his podcast, 40 Minutes in the Old Testament's Priceless. I encourage you to stop this podcast right now and go subscribe and listen to that. I'm literally on round two of it. My sister started listening to it. Her mind's blowing. She calls me up and we'll talk for hours. And I'm like, oh, yes, of course. And it's so anyways, we thank you for that. Um, the, the book that Chad's most recent book is Limping with God, Jacob in the Old Testament, Guide to Messy Discipleship. Chad, amigo, how are you? Have you ever enjoyed the Avid Brothers or are you more of a red dirt country music kind of guy or like a Bob <laughs> Wills from Oklahoma? Yeah, uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me back on. Uh, always look forward to these conversations. Always fun. Uh, yeah, you know, I, of course, haven't been raised in Texas. Texas and New Mexico. I mean, I grew up, I kind of grew up with classical country. You know, my folks would listen to, uh, to all the classical stuff. And uh, then, you know, as, as time went on, I was in high school in the 80s, college in the 90s. And so if I, if I uh, am looking for a country station, I'll typically turn it to 80s or 90s country. Because that's, 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 that's where my heart's at. Yeah. You can't go wrong there. Isn't, man, I don't know what we talked about this, but... Um, there's a country guy who's a Lutheran. It's like not Randy Travis, but it's uh, Julia Roberts' ex-wife, ex-husband. The guy with the big hair. Oh, what's his name? I know, I know, I know. Yeah. I, but that guy. He'll come anyway. to me in a minute. Yeah, he's a, he's a Lutheran. Yeah. Uh, I like yeah. In fact, I know someone who was at church one time and they heard this beautiful voice behind them and come to find out it was him. It was in the, in the congregation <laughs> oh, singing that day. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe I can't think of his name, but it'll... it'll pop into my head eventually. i know i know maybe as i'm long-winded we could like google it um what is that guy okay anyways um you you said in the book 
I've entitled this book Limping with God instead of Walking with God or instead of Running with God. <laughs> Not because there would be anything wrong with those metaphors, but because as Jacob limped away from his famous wrestling, uh, wrestling match with God, so we all get by um, on bum hips and bad knees. Following Jesus, we gimp our way down the dark and slippery paths of life, end quote. But bro, I want to live that victorious life. I want to be running. <laughs> Don't why, we all? <laughs> why is it? Why is it limping? <laughs> why? Yeah, I, I think the I'll give you the real simple answer. I think it's the answer that that basically that Paul received when he asked for God to take the tweezers out and pull that thorn out of his side. Yeah. It's to uh, constantly remind us that uh, it's not about us. It's not about our strength. It's not about our our victory, all those our kind of things, the I, 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 the, the ego drama that we love mm -hmm. our lives to, to be all about. Mm -hmm. And instead, of course, it's all about divine grace and mercy and strength and God showing us that it's never been up to us mm -hmm. to begin with. It's certainly not up to us throughout uh, the rest of our Christian lives. It's all based upon his mercy toward us. Mm -hmm. So the limping part accents our own weakness and the fact that it is the when we're weak then of course our lord is is strong strong to save strong to sanctify strong to get us all the way to the end but is he i mean he is strong to sanctify but i am doing this i am licking the same vomit for the last 10 years like <laughs> yeah what i yeah, mean what well, I think the part of the problem there is that uh, I'm trying to get the image out of my head that you just said. <laughs> part, by the way, part of, by the way, Lyle love it. Mm -hmm. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Lyle love it. That is our uh, our country, our country, country and Western Lutheran. singer who's also a Lutheran. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that uh, yeah, that dog returning to his vomit to kind of image uh, that's uh, that's in the scriptures themselves. I think I think part of the part of the struggle here is this. We tend to equate sanctification with uh, moral improvement. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge part of the problem here. Mm. Um, at one of the 1517 conferences, I think it was this last year in Arkansas. If people are interested, they can search it on Google. Mm -hmm. uh, I talked about, I mean, on, on YouTube, I talked about uh, sanctification as a matter of proximity. And what I did is I took the, took the Old Testament model of what holiness and sanctification is and unpack that theologically and then apply that to the Christian life. So in the Old Testament, sanctification, I mean, it, it has uh, an element to it that's about behavior. But really, when you kind of boil it down to what sanctify is, when God sanctifies something, he draws it into his presence. So yeah. you, you have God in a very specific place. He's anchored himself in the Holy of Holies. That's where he is for the people of Israel. And then thus, that's why it's called the Holy of Holies. Nothing else is called that because only God is anchored himself there. Well, the farther away from you, farther away from that central location, from that inner sanctum you get, uh, the lower the sanctification level becomes. Mm. I mean, that's why the next very next room is not called the Holy of Holies part two. It's called the Holy Place. Yeah. So the farther away you get from that presence of God, the less holy things become. Meaning that sanctification is all about getting closer to God, to wow. his presence. Okay. Wow. Uh, it's nothing to do with morality, nothing to do with moral improvement. 
everything to do with being with God. Well, you just pull that over into the New Testament, the same thing with us. How are we sanctified? By uh, the Spirit bringing us really close to Jesus, putting us into his body, uh, giving himself to us, uniting us, uniting us to Christ. That's how we're sanctified. That means then that our holiness also is an alien holiness. So theologians will talk about how we have an alien righteousness. That is to say we have a righteousness not our own. It's external and then given to us, the righteousness of Christ. We also have an alien sanctification, a, a holiness that is entirely gift. So God wraps his holiness around us, gives us that holiness. And so because of that, our own behavior is not determinative of our sanctification. We can't sanctify ourselves. We can't holy ourselves. Instead, we're wrapped in somebody else's holiness, the holiness of Christ. So all that to say, that's why in our lives, we see ourselves making the same mistakes, you know, returning to that vomit, uh, still struggling after all these years with, with lust or with, with power or with greed or with revenge, all that kind of stuff. They bedevil us to our dying day uh, because we remain sinners despite the fact that we are saved. We remain sinners despite the fact that God has wrapped his holiness, holiness around us. I don't know if it was you I was reading or someone else, but they had they had kind of said the same thing that it's not necessarily moral improvement that, you know, that that is often a fruit sometimes. But the idea was it's almost more sometimes it's an awareness of like, man, God's God. And oh, wow, I am I'm really I'm not being who I was created to be at this moment. It's, it's almost like not this like further um, self-deprecation, but it's more of like a, ooh, that amazing grace really is amazing. Mm-hmm. Maybe a greater understanding of that. But <clears throat> um, so the book, the subtitle, what's the subtitle here? And the Old Testament Guide to Messy Discipleship. So what? what's discipleship? And then why is it messy? Why can't it be like, it's not, isn't it like crispy and, clean and, and <laughs> theologically correct or was it messy <laughs> yeah yeah so uh first of all jacob in the old testament guide to messy discipleship yeah uh anybody who knows anything about jacob's life knows that he lived a messy life uh messy in lots of different lots of different ways i mean some of the, the messiness of jacob's life was just almost uh uh well it's just extremely unsettling <laughs> for instance the the way that he reacted to the rape of his daughter which is basically doing nothing and then getting angry at his sons when they did something. Uh, Or of course, everything from the way he treated his brother to his manipulation of, of the situation when he was exiled. I mean, you name it, almost any part of Jacob's life, you can look and you can say, man, this guy, he's he's got a dysfunctional family. (laughs) He's from the beginning to end. uh, He's lying to his dad. He's uh, he's taking the Lord's name in vain to get what, what he thinks he should have, all these kind of things. So I took him as the model of discipleship because what we see in Jacob it, with all these, these ugly warts all over his life is a pristine image of who we are. Mm-hmm. So Jacob is who I am. And Jacob is who everybody listening to this podcast is because he is egotistical. His, the world revolves around him. He is driven <laughs> by selfish ambition. Uh, he's, he's all about, he's all about himself. He gets himself into all kinds of bad situations. He lies. 
he backstabs, he deceives. So in other words, he is uh, who all of us are. I mean, to, to a greater or lesser extent. I mean, sometimes these things are just inward struggles. Sometimes they manifest themselves outwardly. But who Jacob is, is really who all of us are. Mm-hmm. Therefore, yeah. as disciples, we're going to have a messy discipleship. Mm-hmm. Not going to be, you know, uh, a nicely uh, wrapped present with it with the bow and everything else. It's going to be, it's going to look ugly at, at times. No, I. There's a line. You, what do you say? You say Jacob was a loser who won, and I like that. And so you're right. Like so, you're saying Jacob. So you just chose Jacob because he's sort of like, because I think you were saying that we have so many chapters on Jacob, almost more than anyone else. You know, like we got a lot about Joseph, but you got a lot of Jacob just his own life and so that's why it kind of makes a good case study like it might as well be any, have been any other chump in the bible right because <laughs> right. that's true. all us true. so yeah. what this is this is, i don't know it's kind of a weird question i don't know if it's bringing two inconsistent things but i'm like okay so i like return to the vomit um but also like I'll pour myself a glass of vomit and I'll call it good. And yes, the Lord bless this sanctified libation. Right. And clearly Jacob does. That. I mean, this guy was a, he was a scumbag in such a degree. Like I'm like, Oh, he couldn't even be like an elder in a church. Right. So <laughs> right. I'm curious, yeah. how, how do we address that? That's such a random side note. How do we even address that? Like David, David, like, Whoa, you know, like you gotta be a hus- husband of one wife and, spoken of and like for sure jacob wasn't spoken again i know this might be an apples and oranges thing but it is something that i know that people like i often wonder about what do we do with that part of it yeah i think that part of what we have to do is we have to we have to be aware of the historical situation that we're talking about i mean you take for instance uh let's go even further back let's go to abraham abraham was married to his half-sister so he was like half lying, half telling the truth every time that he would tell Pharaoh or Bimelech, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, Sarah. Yeah, she's a she's a great woman. She's my sister. Well, of course, she was sort of the sister, of course, to whom he was married. So you take that. I mean, even and the reason I bring that up is even in later biblical legislation, that's considered incestuous. Mm. So there are there are shifts that take place as you as you progress through Revelation where certain things were at least accepted earlier that are not accepted later on. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just take Jacob. So Jacob is married to two sisters. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't necessarily choose that, but you know, once he was deceived the first time, he kind of went along with it because oh, he yeah. wanted to be married to, to Rachel. Well, that to, to be married to two sisters is also prohibited in later biblical legislation. So you take kind of that understanding that some things that were at least accepted earlier on were prohibited later on, and you can translate that over into the New Testament too. And you can say, okay, well, look at these lists for pastors or, or elders or deacons. You know, Jacob would never qualify in our church to be that. Uh, well, it's because he lived in a, he lived in a different, different historical setting, really kind of a different biblical setting with regard to, to laws. I don't know if that fully answers your question, but that's kind you, of the way that I think about it. You actually received issues. it. You received it, I re- and I, I received that home run on this um so the book is essentially i mean i guess what i should say is for for those who haven't read it i guess it's it's common to you and i but it's essentially these little short chapters well i read it i read it on on my my phone so i i think they're short i'm not sure how many pages there but they seem really short and so it's essentially it's you just go almost like the major points of jacob's life i'm but you hit everyone you hit the wives 
you hit, you know, what's his name? Laban. Is that, yeah, mm-hmm. you hit Laban like his father-in-law. Um, and so you just kind of draw stuff out. Here's another like one-off question. And you're the perfect guy to ask. You remember there's that famous thing where like um, Matt Chandler, that pastor from I think, like Texas was like, you're not David. You know, it's the David and Goliath. Mm, yes, and then they're yes. like, who's your Goliath? Oh, your Goliath. Your, is your Goliath your finances? Or is your Goliath your lust? You know, and then it's like, no. Jesus is the David, Goliath, you know, send us Satan, and and you're actually the uh, the Hebrews who are afraid on the side. And so, you know, this this notion of biblical theology and shadows and types. Um, and you are the you're the best at that. But at the same time, I'm always wondering what do I do with like sort of you you always say, like your thing is I'm reading it as a Christian, right? And so that I I feel I might have knee jerked a little too far with that. And I wonder if you could hit me with a little course correction, because sometimes even in the book, you're like, we all sort of have an, a Laban in our life. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, or whatever. So how how do we do that? You know what I mean? How sure, how can sure. I read the Bible other than just seeing like, whoa, that's an amazing type and shadow picture pointing to Christ. But at the same time, be like be discipled by it other than have a further like proof that Jesus is the Messiah or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, it's a, that's a necessary question to ask because of the very way that you, that you set it up. And I think there's a couple of different ways we can go with this. Uh, the best is this. So when we're reading any story from the old Testament, whether it's the David and Goliath or, you know, Jacob's story, uh, you're asking a whole lot of different questions at the same time. You're asking, okay, uh, what is this basic? What is the basic story, right? That you kind of got to get that down first. You know, what are the facts basically? What's the history that we're that we're looking at here? Okay, then you can ask yourself, uh, how is how does this story about Jacob or David or whoever how does that fit into the bigger you know, meta narrative of the salvation story? Mm-hmm. Okay, and now when you ask that question, you're also asking the Christological question. So how does Christ figure into this as, as a type, or maybe there's something that's a theological theme that arises out of a narrative that fits with a theological theme in the life of Christ? So that's, that's kind of a, an additional question. And then you're also asking the question, okay, just from a, from a broadly theological perspective, what are, what are the theological themes, whether it's regard to theology proper, that, about, that is about God, or anthropology about humanity? Or about uh, there's even a word for what is it harmatology whatever the study of sin is supposed called there's actual word for that but I only you know, know it in Akkadian I'm sorry I can't help oh you. yeah 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 right okay so <laughs> you, so the study of sin or whatever it might be there's always this cluster of theological themes that are going to arise out of any out of any narrative so what I did primarily with this book is that last category. So I would look at the story, for instance, of Jacob and his family or his wives, and I would say, okay, um, what, what are the themes, what are the theological themes that are woven into this story, okay? And then how do those intersect with our own lives? So that's kind of what I was doing with Laban. Mm-hmm. So you look at the history itself. Who is Laban? Well, he's Jacob's uncle and boss and father-in-law. So he's all, all three of those to Jacob. All right. Uh, but who is he also? Well, Laban is uh, in, in the, uh, in the biblical patterning, he's a Pharaoh character. Mm-hmm. So Jacob, who is Israel as is one man goes into exile and there he's persecuted by this master of his Laban, 
-hmm. that itself is uh, a, a pattern fulfilled in the Exodus. Yeah. So Laban is a Pharaoh character yeah. and Jacob is the Israel character. All right. Well, you know, who does, who does Pharaoh slash Laban represent in the, in the biblical, in the biblical themes? Well, you know, an, an oppressor, uh, someone who is out to do us harm, someone who is maybe out to tempt us or whatever it might be. It's a, it's a tool that the dark forces of evil use in order to afflict harm or temptation into our lives. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you, you take that understanding of the narrative and then you ask yourself, okay, then how does this, how is this also present in our own lives? That's a long answer to your question, but that mm -hmm. gets around to, okay, we all have a Laban in our lives. That mm -hmm. is that we all have someone who fits this mold of a Pharaoh kind of character. Now, sometimes it's someone individually. A lot of times it's uh, uh, an individual that's maybe is oppressing the church or a congregation or, you know, the world, whatever it might be. There's always that, that figure, that Laban Pharaoh kind of figure. And then of course, from that point on, then you're able to just kind of do your, write your chapter or preach your sermon or teach your Bible class around that, that kind of thing. No, I love how you, how you notate that, uh, Laban sort of a pharaoh character and and then you you mentioned how like just like in the same way the hebrews are sent off with a bunch of plunder and goods we have the same thing happening you know we send out with all the speckled goats or whatever um and as a side note still my favorite thing about you still is how many times you are fine with acknowledging like whoa this is so weird i love that because <laughs> yeah. in the same way when you like when you're you realize your pastor is like you say he speaks the same language of sin like we speak like he's like me it's good to know like even the hebrew scholars are like whoa this is super bizarre <laughs> anyways yeah. there's so many bizarre oh. things in the, in the <laughs> bible yeah and so many times too i'll add this you know where man uh you know i look at a text so i it's funny that you that, that this has popped into my head uh you know, when I when I looked at the story like the speckled and spotted and all that kind of stuff years ago in 40 minutes in the Old Testament, uh, I dealt with that a little bit differently than I deal with it in the book. Mm. Because, well, I, you know, I've, I've learned a few things since then. And maybe, you know, perspective has changed here and there. And so sometimes you you return to a text and you uh, you realize, you know what, I didn't I didn't interpret that correctly or not quite correctly last time. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm going to, I'm going to deal with it again in, in a new and a fresh sort of way. So, you know, we make mistakes too, mm -hmm. or we don't get things, you know, quite right. Maybe they're half right. And by continually going back over these stories, we're deepening our understanding of it. And uh, hopefully, you know, shedding some light, maybe where there were dark places before. Right, right. Okay. Just a super quick follow-up on the, you're not Goliath. I mean, your, your finances aren't your Goliath and but at the same time, we could see a Laban for, you know, sort of embodied, the embodied things that he represents on the bigger picture. Can you even just, so can we say, oh, yes, like Goliath is sin, death, Satan, and an oppressor, whatever. But is there room for me to say to my daughter when I'm reading her, I'll make it clear, but is there room for me to say, you know, and sometimes there are some other something else are, are you saying that, that that we can sort of teach something like that and that's an intended option there yeah i think that we can as as long as we 
me, let me put it this way. As long as we don't do what ordinarily happens mm-hmm. and what ordinarily happens is nothing more than a shallow moralizing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I mean, t- t- in my experience anyway, and I'm sure there's exceptions to this, but in my experience, most of the time when you hear a, uh, who's the Goliath in your life, whatever it might be, you know, yeah. choose your old Testament example. Right. All that, all that you receive after that is a, is a, is a, is a shallow moralizing of here's well well, here's what you can do to defeat him or her or it or or whatever it might be uh if if you if you're going to talk about a goliath well then you have to you have to do it within the whole matrix of christology logos theology uh the work of the spirit in our lives all of that had to be part of the discussion and not simply kind of an aesop's fable kind of approach most of these sermons devolve into it's and it's the worst when that it's it really is it's like a it's actually a bummer and that's what I grew up you know and so now like when I read with my daughters and and we call this I know it's whatever you know how it is at your own home you use stupid language but what we call it like connecting the dots and she's mm-hmm. like oh dad I connected this dot and I'm like oh man and it's there's something actually you you could tell like sort of like a you know, it's not just a, this mental thing. It's like this, this like spirit. I don't know. There's something really compelling and um, edifying sort of when, when you, it, it just makes sense of, makes sense of the Old Testament, right? Okay. Yeah. So here's a quote that you said. You said, there's much in Jacob's character, actions, and motives that I find extremely distasteful, which is exactly why I identify so closely with it. <laughs> right. All of us. Yeah. He's everything about myself that I wish I were not. Even in utero, he's looking out for number one. And then you continue on. For all these reasons and more, Jacob is the model disciple. And so that, like, I don't know what it is, but there's something about when you're preacher or the book you're reading or the biblical character, I don't know what it is. It's like, when you see they're, they're just as much as a scumbag as you, you're like, okay, there's like hope for me. It's like, because you know all the churches i grew up with in like my pastor is up there his feet aren't touching the ground he's got a halo he's never telling me that he's like looking at some hot chicks like booty as she's running down but i know he is because i'm like but i don't but back then i thought oh man he's he's made a covenant with his eyes you know this lucky chunk here is driven snow yeah so um can you give me a super high level of if I were just to read through um, the Jacob story from beginning to end, like, what am I seeing there? What are like the chief takeaways? Yeah, uh, man, there's a, there's I mean, there's a lot of them. Let's see what I can see what I can focus on. I think that uh, one of the chief takeaways is that you have such a a vivid picture of Jacob's weaknesses. Right. All, all the all the things, all the reasons that God should not have chosen him. Like, I mean, all the marks that are against him, you have all of these portrayed in graphic detail. And yet God's choosing of him. Right. God's showing mercy to him to accent the fact that it's it's ultimately not about who we are and what we do. But it's always about God's choice and God's love for us in Christ. And that, for me anyway, that is the takeaway from the story of Jacob. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons that so much is told us about his life. 
is to to show us that <laughs> yeah this guy this scumbag this this guy with all these problems who is he well he's not just a guy and he's not even just a believer this guy is the he's the head of the church in the old testament <laughs> right i mean he his name is jacob it gets changed to or added to israel well who's israel israel is like the people of god they're named <laughs> here's here's the way you can put it the old testament church is named after this group after this guy so you could you could you know to use hebrew the language of hebrews all israel was in jacob's loins when all this was going down and uh i think it's in the book of ruth where it talks about how rachel and leah built the house of israel who built the house of israel two sisters were married to the same guy and who were constantly squabbling back and forth and having this baby making competition and, you know, hiring one hires the husband for mandrakes. I mean, it's just some, <laughs> there's some crazy stuff going down in the, in the family of Jacob. And then at the same time, this is the guy, this is the, this is the community that God says, I love you. You're mine. I've chosen you. You are my treasured possession. So, you know, to use the language of Deuteronomy, it wasn't because Jacob or Israel was the greatest of the nations or more righteous than all the other nations or anything else that God chose them. It's because he set his love on them. Mm-hmm. That's ultimately what it's about, mm-hmm. which for us then is, is of tremendous comfort because, you know, I look at my life and all the things that I'm ashamed of, uh, things that are publicly known and things that nobody knows but me. I think of all the mistakes that I've made, all my failures, all of my doubts, all of these, all of these things, which objectively lead me to say, there's no way that God could choose or love me or want me to be his. And yet he does mm-hmm. because ultimately it's not about me. It's about mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's about his love and his mercy for me. So that I think is the takeaway of, yeah. of the life of Jacob. And that's really the chief reason that I wrote, that I wrote the book about, focusing on on his life so now go ahead when you talk about his his love setting his love on that makes me think of i don't know where you said this or read this everything kind of runs i'm sorry but you wrote or said somewhere like you know the westminster confession of faith says what is the chief end of man and the chief end is to glorify god and enjoy him forever And I, the crypto Lutheran in me never quite liked that. You know, I'm a, I'm a Baptist, but you said something, you said like something like just to manifest his love. And I, and, Mm -hmm. and that, that like resonate, I think you just glanced over it, but that resonates more with me for me in my own life. I think what, I often think that question, you know, what is the chief? Mm -hmm. And I, I always come back to that. um, Those passages that say, I will be their God and you will be, and they will be my people. I like that one. It's, you know, it's like, it like covers everything. But anyways, can you speak to, again, I'm sorry, it's like kind of twice removed, but I think it's an important thing for, to just guide us in our day-to-day lives, like sort of the chief end of man and this notion of, so that God could express love or or whatever Mm -hmm. you might think in that area. Yeah. uh, There's a, there's a couple of different, uh, foundations for for what what you're talking about that i've drawn from one biblical one uh patristic so i'll start with i'll start with the biblical psalm 136 
It's the one with the refrain for his loving kindness is everlasting. Kila olam chasto in Hebrew for his mercy is everlasting. Whatever it is. It's the one where every single time that you have the opening half verse, it concludes with that. All right. So what is the psalm all about? It starts with creation and then it goes through the exodus and then all the way God leading the Israelites to the promised land. That is the commentary on the Pentateuch with the Torah. Nice. You could say it's really the commentary on the Hexateuch on the first six books. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why did God create the world? Because his loving kindness is everlasting. Why did God redeem Israel out of, out of Egypt? Because his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, come on. Come on. Why did God redeem, why did God lead them through the wilderness? Why did he bring them to the promised land? Why all these things? Basically, why is God the creator and the redeemer of, of his people? Mm. for his loving kindness his chesed in hebrew is everlasting so that that for me defines why the exodus why creation why joshua all of that because of god because of god's love that's why because it never ends he just keeps giving and giving and giving so that's a biblical foundation of the answer what is that what is the chief end of man to be loved by god that's it to for god to give himself in love and in loving gifts to us now, Irenaeus, the second century church father in Lyon, he captured this perfectly when he said that this is in his book uh, against the Gnostics or against the heresies, that God created man in order that he might have someone upon whom to bestow his blessings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's all, that has been one of my, fav my top three favorite quotes uh, for decades now, ever since I, I stumbled across it in seminary. God created man in order that he might have someone upon whom to bestow his blessings. Wow. Bro. Yeah. So why, why are we here? You know, what, what, what is the end of all of us? Why, why do we even exist? Well, because God loves, God is love. And this love, which uh, has existed from all eternity within the three persons of the Trinity, as it were, spills forth into the creation of the world and the redemption of humanity. So that, as you look around, you, you know, you look at your, your body, you look at the house in which you live, you look at your family, you look at all creation, the sun, moon, and stars. Why is all this stuff even here? Mm -hmm. Because God loves. God oh, is love. Yeah. So good, brother. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the long and short of it right there. I love that. Thank you. Um, chapter 21 in the book is called The Prodigal Brother Returns. <clears throat> You're at your best here, bro. You're at your best here, filled, filled with the Shekinah. Can you just just hit us with that one? Because it's like uh, it's not one that you that I just I never just sort of picked it up as I was thumbing through my uh, Bible reading. Yeah, you you talking about the connection to the prodigal son? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I wish I could claim a uh, complete originality with that, <laughs> with that interpretation. Look at you asterisking yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a uh, the scholar Kenneth Bailey. Uh, who's done a lot of work on the parable of the prodigal son uh, and the parables in general. He, uh, I think he's the one that I originally got this idea from. So I had noticed, I think independently for a long time, the parable of the prodigal son is, is a story of exile, exile and return. Okay. So uh, he goes away to a faraway country and then he comes back. Well, you see exiles, of course, all over the old Testament, but what I didn't pick up on independently, although which I'm firmly convinced is the case now, is that when Jesus told us the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the waiting father or whatever you want to call it, that parable, 
he patterned it off of the Jacob and Esau story. Mm-hmm. You have a father with two sons, and then there's a you know the the whole inheritance issue <laughs> that that's in the parable. That's also here, and then you have the younger of the two in the parable, and then Jacob, of course, is younger of the two, goes off into the far off faraway country. Eventually, the prodigal son returns in the parable. And eventually Jacob returns. Now, this is for me the most fascinating part, because, of course, when Jacob leaves, according to his own testimony, he leaves with nothing but the staff in his hand. He's got the word of God in his pocket. He's got the promise of God in his pocket, but he's got the staff in his hand. That's it. So he leaves basically empty. But when he comes back, he comes back rich, full. I mean, the guy's uh, I mean, he's he's got so so many animals, so many servants, four. Well, two wives, two co-wives, all these kids. So he goes out empty, becomes back full when he's going to be reunited with Esau. Now, I love how Jesus did this because when he uses the Jacob character in the parable, he makes sure that the Jacob character, the younger son, leaves full. He's got all this money in his pocket, mm-hmm. but he comes back what? Empty. Yeah. yeah. Jesus doesn't let him come back full. He lets him come back, come back empty so that he might be filled once, once yeah. he gets home. Yeah. And then the other real surprising part of this uh is that who is the who is the father figure in the parable patterned after therefore esau esau sees his brother he runs to meet him he falls upon his neck he weeps he's he's so happy to to have his to have his brother back so that is that's shocking to me because you know esau is is uh he's caricatured in my opinion as always the bad dude, you know, he's just a terrible, yeah. the terrible person. Well, <laughs> he's not any worse than Jacob is. Come on. <laughs> it's not like Jacob is such a great guy. And Esau, he's just a really despicable character. No, I mean, come on. They both, they both have their, both have their problems. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Love that. Love that. Yeah. You, you're right. He comes back running to him. He's, he's crying. And you, I think you said in the book, you're like, you know, if we didn't know this story, we're like, okay, there's one of two options here. He's going to like kill him or what was the other? Like, you'll just say, all right, it's cool or whatever. The last thing yeah. you expect is this guy to run. Um, I do. And just, you know, and I actually love this next thing I'm about to say, because it, it's the gross and earthiness of everyone because right. And you, and I didn't realize this till you said it, but you, <laughs> you mentioned in the book, you're like, after this part, you just want to put the book down. You want to go <laughs> yeah. swimming and you're just happy because everyone's stoked, but you're like, nah. And <laughs> you said, so you basically, and, and you're like, if you don't know like geography, you're not going to catch this. And I never caught it, never, ever caught it. But basically you say something like, Jacob's like, yeah, okay, go ahead. You know, it's the equivalent of him going to Oklahoma and like, I'll be right behind you. But you said he heads towards Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So wait, yeah, so just real quick, what's that all about? <laughs> yeah, so they had this, you know, this tearful reunion. Everything seems to be great. You know, the, the brothers are back together. And uh, it's, it's obvious that Esau has no more animosity toward Jacob. In fact, he even says, tell you what, brother, come with me. Come with me to my home in Seir or Edom or whatever you want to call it. South, in other words, south of the Dead Sea. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be together. It'll be good. And Jacob... <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, yeah, you think he's a changed man. He's not. Jacob says, 
I, you know, I'm paraphrasing. Of course, this is the Chad Bird message paraphrase. Uh, Jacob says, "Oh, brother, thank you so much." I, you know what? I would love to do that, but the problem is, we got the kids here, and we got the flocks, and so we can't keep up with you. So you guys go on ahead of us, and we'll meet you down there. And then no matter, no, no sooner does Esau and his 400 men disappear over the horizon, than Jacob's like, "All right, everybody, pack up. We're going north." <laughs> He, he doesn't, he doesn't, I, th we're not told, of course, my conjecture is he still doesn't trust his brother. He's, he, he, he does not think that uh, Esau can be trusted. He thinks it's a, he thinks it's a trap or whatever it is. He, uh, he lies to his brother. <laughs> that's just, that's a long and short of it. He lies to his that's brother. That's funny. There's, it's there's just, no other way around that. I mean, the, I, I actually like that that's there again. Cause I'm like, oh, that's me. After I went to church, get in the car and start busting my wife's chops. Why didn't you? Why did you do that thing? I'm like, ooh. After I was, yeah. you know, just classic. Sure. Um, yep, yep. So this, I mean, this book, I think the way it works is like you write books like two years, you know, like you probably wrote this book, got out of your mind. I know you're like 80% deep on another book now. Yeah, so yeah. two questions. What, how long ago did you write this book? And what, what's the current book you're working on? Yeah, so I wrote this one last year. Uh, I don't remember when I finished it, uh, but I wrote it last year anyway. So typically what will happen is I'll finish a book in, say, around this time of year, September, October. And then uh, it will then come out the following summer. That's kind of been the pattern that we've been working on. Now, that might change in the future, but that's what happened this time. I finished the book, finished Limping with God last year. And then it, uh, it was released in July. Yeah. July of, of this year. So, uh, what I'll, what I'll usually do is once I finish a book, I will, uh, I'll give myself, uh, a couple weeks, maybe three weeks where I'll work on other stuff. You know, maybe I'll write some short articles or whatever it might be. Um, and then I'll launch into, into the next book. So that's what I did this time. And the book I'm working on now is called hitchhiking with profits. Uh, it's a, uh, what do I call it? What's the subtitle? A ride through the salvation story of the Old Testament, or something like that. Anyway, yeah. so what? What it, the way this? What this book is designed to do is to, if you you know have a fairly good idea of the the broad sweep of the salvation story, it's it's a good way to to get back into that, remind yourself of of the big story, right? But if you don't know anything about it, don't know, have never read the Old Testament, don't know the characters uh, whatsoever, then this is a great book for you because it's going to tell you that story. But it's not just a this happened, then that happened, and then this happened, and then that happened. It's not told that sort of way. It's told in such a way that you're going to get a feel for the characters. You're going to get a feel for uh, the major events. And most importantly, as you're working your way through this, you're going to see how God is, is shaping the contour of this history to bring it to its culmination in Christ. So that's, I'm hoping it'll be great. It'll be helpful for pastors. You know, a lot biblical, biblical ignorance today is of course, sky high. People right. just don't know the Bible. So a lot of pastors who are bringing people into the church, you know, they're, they're new members. They don't know, you know, Noah from Abraham, from Peter to Paul. They, they still know. Well, this, this, and you know, it's kind of hard to say, well, here's a Bible, read it. Yeah. <laughs> What's a big book. <laughs> you know? So this is a, uh, this is kind of a, it's a, uh, 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 
a guide, I guess you could call it, to to the Old Testament. That's it'll be that's good. We'll know, and I know that there'll be a good cover because I don't. I still don't know who they got working over there doing 1570 design, but it's a boss because a crappy cover could quickly ruin a good book. And you guys, oh, you guys' stuff is. All, I think every time I've talked to you, I've brought up the design. It's just so good. I'm so glad. Yeah, that, yeah. that crew over there is so legit, man. Um, yeah, we got we got a couple guys working for us, but Britain in particular, Britain does all my covers and he just yeah. does a superb, superb work. Yeah. So good. So we I was originally supposed to interview you, I think, man, I don't know, it was like a, maybe two months ago. But then the the tragedy with your son, Luke, happened. And I just, you know, I didn't email you. And then after I heard you on um, re, resume 40 minutes of Old Testament, I reached out and asked if we could do the interview and just had ran it by you. Like I, I was like, as I said, everyone listens to our Chad Bird interviews. Well, I often get comments, people, like I just sent you an email. Someone wrote me about you. People are always writing me about you. It's just, everyone loves you. So anyways, I was like, do I, how, how do you handle a death? You know, like, especially in a situation, should I bring it up? Is it a weird elephant in the room? Is it is it so sad that you don't even want to think of that? And so I had emailed you and you said, yeah, like, so having said all that, it's like, well, do I want to, do I want to use this time to glean some wisdom from a tragedy? I don't even know. So I just guess I'll just end it with like, I, I don't even have a question for you, but just. Yeah, just, I'll, just, I'll just talk about Luke. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think that's the, I think maybe that's what I, uh, I've had a couple of people ask me that for interviews. And so my response is always, yeah, I mean, I, I love to talk about Luke. So uh, yeah, for those listeners out there who, who don't know, uh, I mean, it was a, I, I, it was, it was a big story, but I mean, it was a national international news kind of story because uh, Luke was, Luke was a kind of between his second, and third years at the United States Naval Academy. And he was studying abroad in Chile at their, their military Academy he was out for for a hike, which he loved to do, with uh, one of the other students from from that academy, and they were by a by a, a huge waterfall, probably kind of like some of those ones you have out in Hawaii, you know, just hundreds of feet, just a monstrosity of waterfall. And uh, he got close to the edge, and uh, anyway, ended up uh, slipping, stumbling. We're not exactly sure what happened, but whatever happened, he he fell and uh, fell to to his death. Would impossible to survive something like that so we were informed um on saturday july saturday july 16th that he was missing and then 24 hours later they uh thank speed of god discovered his body you know we were we were very afraid as the hours went on through the night and you know by then and even right away just the way that it was described we were you know we were we didn't give up on hope but we were also trying to be realistic with ourselves that, uh, you know, the likelihood of survival was just so, so slim. Then we began to be afraid because we, we didn't know anything about where he fell, you know, what the terrain was like. Well, what if his body, you know, is unable to be found? So that became our prayer is that at least, you know, at least God give us his body back. Yeah. So uh, thanks to the efforts of, the 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 military and the police and their special forces they had everybody down there a scuba diver found found his body 
And so after, after a long period of waiting, uh, Luke was about a month. It's just about what it took. Uh, Luke's body was returned to us. And so we had a funeral here where we live in New Braunfels, Texas, and then uh, a funeral at the United States uh, Naval Academy in Annapolis where Luke's <clears throat> body was, was buried. Uh, it's been, man, I don't even know. Every time I talk about this, it's hard to put into words, you know, exactly what it's like. You know, it's, it's one of those things where it's, you know, it's, we say things like this, like there are no words. And I don't, I don't really think that this is a case where there really aren't. I mean, you can call it, uh, you know, excruciating. You can call it uh, the worst thing that could ever happen to a parent. And all those things are true. But in the end, it's just, it's hard to, it, it is hard to put into words. I think any parent knows that this is, yeah, it's their worst fear, losing it, yeah. losing a child. And, and you always take, <laughs> I always thought, you know, it's something that happens to other people, you know, it's a tragedy right. that, that right. doesn't, doesn't visit us. Right. So right. we are, I mean, we're novices at this stuff. We're, we're still, we're a little over two months in and we're still trying to figure out, uh, you know, how you, how you cope with all of this. And, sure, and sure. Uh, grief is weird too, because, uh, you know, I, I'm talking about it now. Uh, I'm not getting emotional, but there are other times when, Bam. I mean, it's just like you're just ambushed by grief and knocks you off your feet. And it's yeah. all you can think about and you cry and, or you're angry with God or you're just angry at everything or, you know, it's just, you never know what's, what's going to happen. Um, what, what I've been doing is uh, one way I've been trying to not move forward, but just try and kind of position myself in grief in such a way that I'm surrounded by, what I know is what I need. And that is God's word mm. is spending a lot of time in the Psalms. Um, I've been going a lot of, a lot of long walks and so I'll listen to the Psalms. I'll listen to other parts of scripture and mm. just try and let that stuff wash over me so that, uh, so that I have that. And, and I think this is another thing that, that it's unique to, to what Christians have, the hope that we have. And that is, I can I keep reminding myself, you know, we, we talk about Luke's death. Well, Yes and no. I mean, yeah, he died. Uh, he physically left this world, but he didn't really. I mean, he he died. He 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 got death out of the way a long time ago when he was baptized and became a believer in Christ. I mean, when that happens, you pass over from death to life. And so, when he on July sixteenth left this world, he went into the life that is that is truly life so for us i mean that oh you know what a, what a comfort what a hope sure. that you know we his his grave is a temporary residence he will not be there forever because the resurrection is coming mm -hmm. and when that happens then we'll uh we'll see luke with his glorified body and our glorified bodies and all these terrible dark days will vanish like a dream Sure. Basically. So Good. thank you, man. Thanks for sharing that. I, I, um, I remember when it happened and I think you said in a few places, you're like, like the, the, the only sort of, if you had one line, your one liner commentary was said, we just thank the Lord that he was baptized. And so I did, I did just want to ask you like just one question about this. <clears throat> and that's this, like not, so you have hope for him, but 
I mean, in my, even in my own daily life, just when I see my kids get left out of school, it's enough for me to question the existence of God, right? You know, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> you know, and that's just so temporal or whatever. I'm just curious if there, and it doesn't have to be the happy ending part, right? A lot of Psalms are like, God, your arrow's pointing at me. I'm out of yeah. here. So yeah. I'm just curious. Um, and, and I, and I ask this for the sake of, um, because a lot of people, you know, this is, you know, like you said, it's not us, but it, it, it happens to us or at the collective at us. So is there a, um, has there been an abiding, like a, an abiding truth or reality, not necessarily like, okay, he's good, but just to help you in your just, I mean, you've got to be miserable. Mm-hmm. Like, is there anything at that's this point, And it hasn't been that long. That's brought you any comfort or is it still such a haze you'll see in a few down the road or are you just like kind of spinning out or whatever mm. again you, you don't have to respond to that question and it doesn't have to end good or or whatever no you know it really depends on the day i'll, I'll be quite honest you know there are there are days when uh what hurts me the most is thinking about what was going through Luke's mind that instant, you know, it, to think about the death itself and the, you know, even if it was a two seconds or a second, however long it was, you know, uh, so there are days when I'm, I'm most pained by thinking about his, his death. What, I mean, the, the actual things that happened, you know, yeah. uh, there are days when what bothers me the most, and this is probably the thing that I think that keeps coming back more than anything else is the call it what you want anger frustration disappointment with the mm-hmm. fact that you know we we buried his future that's what happens when you bury a child you bury the future mm-hmm. when you bury your parent when you bury somebody's old you bury the past but when wow. you bury a child you bury the future yeah. so all these things you know he's i think about my you know i think back to when i'm 21 when i was 21 and it felt like i was barely getting started you know mm-hmm. i wasn't married uh, and well, I was married. Yeah. But he, Luke wasn't married. Luke, Luke didn't get, get experience marriage. Didn't have any kids, you know, never even ne- didn't even finish the Academy. So, you know, all these things that he wanted to do, he didn't get a chance to do, mm-hmm. you know? And then the third thing that, that, <laughs> that bothers me, uh, some days is just the fact that I'm like, man, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have to wait probably, you know, unless the Lord takes me, I'm going to have to wait years probably decades before i see my son again mm. you know so it's the it's the missing him part sure. that uh that really gets to me some days and depending upon what i'm struggling with uh there's a different response to each of those mm-hmm. you know yeah um, i'll sure. tell myself well <laughs> yeah luke was deprived of all these good things that could happen to him in this life but where he's at now none of that matters Mm-hmm. you know none of that w- would matter to him sure. so and the, you know the days that i think about when he actually died you know i remember actually something that he wrote years ago where he uh it was his confirmation essay which i've uh i've posted online mm-hmm. that uh he wrote something like this is when he was like 14 <laughs> uh how did he put it he knows that when he stumbles and falls into you know the, the pits in life or something like that that there will be warm hands at the bottom to catch him. And it was almost 
prophetic in a way because he fell. Wow. And it was a cold day. It was winter down there in, in Chile. And there were warm hands at the bottom to, to mm. catch him. Mm. So I think about that. And then, you know, when I think about how long I'm going to wait, probably, probably how long I have to wait to, to see him and, and how much I miss him. Um, I just tell myself, well, <laughs> you know, what would Luke say to me? He'd say, well, dad, you've got, you got a lot of good things that you can do. Mm. You know, there's a lot of teaching you can do. There's a lot of a little writing you can do there's a lot of podcasting you do there's a there's a lot of things you can do where you tell people about the good and gracious lord with whom i now reside so good so amen maranatha brother yeah thank you thank you for that thanks for sharing that i cried like a baby when i saw um all those guys running they, they dedicated oh i was done my wife <laughs> Anyways, brother, thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Jason. We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. We came to break the bad. We came to cheer the sad. We came to...